In the Reading Corner today, I'm delighted to be welcoming back Sophie Anderson, who talked to us uh, on the publication of The House with Chicken Legs. Well, since then, Sophie has gone on to uh, write The Girl Who Speaks Bear and The Castle of Tangled Magic. But today we're going to be talking about her latest book, which is The Thief Who Sang Songs. Uh, Sophie returns to her favoured Slavic folklore, and hopefully we'll be talking about that through this interview. It's a story about fracture and, importantly, about unity. And I have to say, Sophie, it's an incredibly beautiful and moving story. Let's get straight in there and give our listeners a flavour of this story. I wonder if you could read from the prologue for us. Of course. So. Um... The island of Morovia is shaped like a broken heart. The humans live on the calmer lee side of the island and the Alkanosts, the bird people, live on the stormier rip side. But it wasn't always this way. Until three years ago, Alkanos and humans lived together all over Morovia. My parents and I had a home in Spark, the lee side town by the shifting sparkling sea. We loved sitting on our balcony, gazing at the soft sands and salted waves. The view was ever-changing because our island, Morovia, is one of the three floating islands. Morovia, Eldovia and Buyan all drift across the world's oceans, moving towards and away from each other and the fixed land in an endlessly varied dance. Sometimes Eldovia would drift so close to us that we could spot seabirds wheeling around nests on the purple cliffs. Buyan always floated further away, hidden in the mist that clings to it. But occasionally the mist would thin and we'd get tantalising glimpses of something golden, glistening. We loved searching for new sites and imagining what might lie on the other floating islands and the fixed land. But we never talked of leaving to find out because we were happy on Morovia. My mother sang every day on our balcony, her voice high and bright as the moon, and her wings would open, blue as the sea and yellow as sunshine. My family are Alkanosts, which means we're descended from the ancient bird people of our island. Most Alkanos look similar to humans, although we're smaller and lighter and have feathers while humans have hair. Only a few of us have bird features as prominent as my mother's, whose arms were so covered with long blue and yellow feathers that when she held them outstretched, they became wings. The biggest difference between Alkanos and humans, though, and the one that has led to all the trouble on Morovia, is something that can't be seen. Nearly all Alkanosts, by the time we're 10 years old, develop the ability to sing magic. There are many kinds of singing magic. I know Alkanos whose songs can make flowers bloom, flames burn brighter, or lightning strike the ground. And there are legends of ancient Alkanos who could change the shape of mountains and the course of rivers and communicate with the island itself. Quite a few things to pick up just from that short extract. In fact, we do get a a great sense of place and we're starting to get a sense of who this narrator is. Your narrator is somebody called Linnet and she is about 10 years old. Coming up to 12, I think. Yes, because she's past the age by which she should have exactly. received her magic. Yeah, her magic hasn't quite kicked in yet. And uh, this is quite frustrating for her, yes. Yeah. So at the time that this story takes place, Linnet is living with her father, who's called Nightingale, and her mother is absent 
And it's the reason for that absence that really is the thing that propels this story. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Okay, so um, where we start off, Lynette's living with her father Nightingale, as you say, in the swamp. And um, that's not where she's always lived. Her and her father and all of the Alkanos, all of the bird people have been banished to um, that side of the island because of a tragedy that happened about four years previously. And um, during this tragedy, um, an awful lot of people died, both humans and Alkanos. But um, unfortunately, the Alkanos were blamed for the tragedy. It was the tragedy was um, thought to be have have been caused by singing magic. So um, and during the tragedy, both the queens of Morovia died. There was an Alkanos queen and a human queen and they both died. And the man who took over, took over power, was a human and he um, blamed the tragedy on singing magic and he slowly spread lies and sort of prejudice about the Alkanos and gradually the Alkanos were kind of pushed further and further away from one side of the island. They were banned from singing magic and then they were banned from public spaces. And um, so where we're setting off on the story, the entire island has basically been divided and we have the humans on one side and the Alkanos on the other side. And they are very distrustful of each other now. The island is very much divided. And it's very frustrating for someone like Lynette, who obviously remembers what it was like when the island was united and when she lived on the other side. And she had human friends and she had Alkanos friends. And um, and obviously, um, I, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say her mother died in the tragedy as well. So something else she's dealing with is um, her own grief. But perhaps more intensely, she's also dealing with her father's grief because her father hasn't quite, um, he's not grieving in perhaps the healthiest way. And so she's got a lot on her plate, basically. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And not only is um, Lynette dealing with her father's grief, but also the separation from a soulmate of hers who was human called Hero. Um, and Hero is blaming the Alkanosts also for this tragedy. She is, unfortunately. They were best friends, you know, this human and this Alkanos, they were best friends. But um, after the tragedy, um, I think it's, you know, Lynette possibly realises that Hero might also have lost someone in the tragedy. So she's also grieving. But unfortunately, she's fallen for the lies and the prejudice and, you know, the rhetoric that's being spun and so, yeah, so they've become divided um, geographically, but also Lynette knows that Hero, you know, blames her people in some way mm -hmm. for the tragedy as well. So there's a big emotional divide between them as well. So it's quite difficult. But Lynette still desperately wants to, you know, make friends again with her friend and, you know, get that friendship back and also reunite her own island. Now, she has two other uh, friends or companions um, who were fascinating. One's called Whiskers and one's called Lumpy. I really do want to know a bit more about them. Lumpy and his sword leg. I mean, I find that quite fascinating. <laughs> Tell me about Lumpy. <laughs> I do. Know, I, I love an animal companion. I think they can lighten. There's obviously some quite heavy themes that we've just talked about there. But obviously, I do want my books to be fun as well and adventurous. And there's nothing like some nice animal companions to lighten the mood a little bit. And um, I used to be a science teacher and I, I always loved biology and animals. And um, one of my children is really into them now. So um, it's really nice choosing an animal companion. And I, I choose them very carefully. And I think about, I research them. And um, Lumpy is a toad, basically. And his sword leg is because he lost a leg. 
in an accident and it's grown back in a kind of spiked manner and that is something that can happen um not all species of toads or frogs um but some species of, of, of toads and frogs and other um, amphibians if they lose a limb then they can kind of grow a kind of cartilaginous I think I said that right sort of a replacement um and so that's what Lumpy's done and um uh yeah so he's, he's just like a, a kind of toad and I really like the fact he's he's quite um mournful so I think at the beginning it says something like he croaks like a, a broken heart and <laughs> he's quite this little mournful character but he has um a friend the other animal companion whiskers is a koipu um or a swamp rat and I researched them and they're such brilliant um, mammals they're really clever and um there are examples of them making friends with other animals and things and so I sort of made those two friends and and linked them in a way and linked them to Linnet in, in you know how they were rescued and so they have a little bit of a backstory and their own way of communicating and they were just great fun to write it's always fun mm. writing little um, animal friendships. Just one more character who I think is so significant that we must bring them into our conversation and this is Echo now, to me, in a way, she stands for what we are hoping to achieve in this story. Whether we do or not is something for readers to discover for themselves. But to me, she's the one that stands for for that. Mm, absolutely. She is. She's um, she's someone that kind of took charge at the point that everything fell apart. And I don't think she's a natural leader in many ways, but I think that she just saw all this tragedy happening and there's a sort of a flashback where the Alkanos are removed from their homes and taken to the other side of the island and just basically dumped in this swamp. And uh, she's the sort of person that is like, right, we need to just get on with this now. We need to build some houses. We need to find some food. We need to light a fire. And um, she's just one of those people that you meet occasionally. And they're just people that they just see what needs to be done and they just do it. And um, and then once all those basics are you know sort of sorted and people are fed and happy and um, a sort of community has developed then she starts to like you say sort of look forwards to how are we going to move forwards from here she's kind of like the wise woman of the book I think all my books end up having a a wise woman or a wise person somewhere that is like you say the voice of you know perhaps the most responsible sort of adult. I wanted to talk a little bit about names and naming because I think you're very intentional I mean you must be because of the names of these characters just wonderful I wonder if you could tell us about some of the the bird names that you chose and why you chose them lovely it is with all my books all my names I put so much thought into them and quite often they change along the way and um and the idea behind them does develop and the whole bird name thing, it just started because um, Nightingale is based on a character called Nightingale from folklore. So his name was a bird name. And then it seemed natural to give all the Alkanos bird names. And at first they were a little bit random. But as I'm picking them, I really want them to mean something. And I'd sort of be researching different types of birds, looking for nice names. And I think Halcyon was probably one of the first ones that I saw Halcyon, the name of the kingfisher. And obviously knowing that it also has this double meaning of, you know, the halcyon days, the times of past joy. It was absolutely perfect for her because she does represent, you know, the last time that Linnet was really happy, but it's also a bird name. So that was just perfect. And then um, Linnet was, I think she had a slightly different name to start with. But then when, when I started thinking about what I wanted the names to mean, I started researching then 
just things about the different birds and so um I started research I think I came across linnets as birds and obviously every bird has a little bit of folklore about it the birds they eat particular things they're found in a particular habitat and um linnets became really um important to me I read somewhere that the number of linnets in a place will really blossom when people start farming because they come and they eat flax seeds and it's something that um, is farmed and um, I just had this image of sort of their numbers blooming when people are working together. And this is such a big theme of the book about, you know, people working together. And that's one of the things that Lynette ends up doing is realising that she can have power by making people work together. And um, and they're also very small birds with a powerful song. And so there's that metaphor that Lynette feels quite small and powerless. But, you know, her song, um, her power ends up being a lot greater than she thinks. Um, so there was a lot of thought that went into those. And, and you mentioned Echo and it's um, um, I, I can't I think her bird name is Swift or Swiftlet. And it's something mm. to do with those birds having um, they use echolocation. And that relates to um, um, Echo's power, I suppose, which is about sort of I think it's that bouncing um, ideas and emotions off other people and you know being aware of your effect on them and 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 things like that and sometimes it's I guess it's kind of hard to explain but each of them has a really big meaning for me and it ended up even weaving its way into the folklore so I ended up creating a kind of um, ritual I suppose where the bird people they go to someone who has magic to name their child and um, the person has a little vision of that child's future and then gives them a name that is um, pertinent to their future. And they even end up doing that to the humans then who live on the island. So all the humans have been given names. They're not bird names, but they are names that relate to something that person will go on to do or something about their personality. So um, I end up with human characters then. For example, they're silver who's a young boy and who really likes working with silver and, and watches and things like that. So and then there's Fleur who works with um, flowers and uh, and uh, she's like an apothecary. So, um, yeah, so basically it was it was really good fun, like trying to come up with those names. It's um, it's, it's almost a form of pro procrastination, though, I do think, because I will spend <laughs> hours and hours choosing the right name as opposed to writing a chapter. <laughs> never, never wasted, because out of that, as you've said, come so many other ideas. Um, well, we've started talking about folklore. And once again, you're drawing on mainly Slavic, but I think there are other connections uh, here as well. And the Alkonost would be, because these are legendary creatures in Slavic folklore, perhaps not exactly like your Alkonost, because I believe they are mainly women, a bit like, yeah. the, but like, yeah. a bit like the harpies. Yeah, and the sirens as well in the Greek mythology. They're very, very much like sirens in Greek mythology, you know. So both those, both Alkonos and sirens are predominantly bird. Quite often they're described as birds with just like a woman's head. And both of them um, sing a particular type of magic, which is known for obviously luring sailors to their doom and being hypnotic and mesmerizing. Um, so that's the kind of Alkonos um, mythology. So I did play with that a little bit and I obviously have males and females mm. and I made the Alkonos a lot less bird-like but I did hint that there may be other Alkonos particularly in the past that were more bird-like 
But it does very much link to the other influence was an old Russian folk poem called Nightingale and Robert. And Nightingale in the folk poem is described, he's, he's, not, he's not explicitly said he's an alchemist at all, but I link the two because Nightingale is described as kind of a bird-like monster. He has this really powerful, dangerous whistle, which to me, you know, kind of relates to that singing magic that alchemists have. He's described as having clawed feet and quite a bird-like, um, a, a, a beak-like nose. So part of me, even long before I started writing this story, I did wonder if that mythology of the Alkanos bird people and the sort of mythology surrounding Nightingale, right from early on, it was kind of linked. It was like, I know I'm going to write almost like a reimagining of Nightingale the robber, and I know I'm going to make him an Alkanos and weave in that mythology as well because they seemed so linked to me. So interesting. And I think even links to ancient Egyptian mythology as well. There will be bird people in, you know, in so many mythologies, you know, and the same with the floating island idea. You get um, floating islands in lots of different mythologies. I think there's one in Sinbad that turns out to be a a big fish, obviously. but, um, Mm. But a lot of these ideas and motifs obviously appear all over the world because people traveled storytellers traveled and so it is lovely to find different um, links around the world also from um slavic folklore the bogatars bogatirs how do you pronounce that i say bogatir but um i'm sure somebody would correct me with a different accent they're very much from Nightingale, the robber, that folk poem. But um, Bogatures are kind of like um, equivalent to like the knights in shining armour in European um, stories. So they're generally the heroes of the story. But um, in the Thief Who Sang Storms, they're not really the heroes of the story because they are essentially like an armed force and they were set up. They were meant to be the heroes and the defenders of the realm, but they have ended up being what Captain Ilya who's um, the rather nasty chap in charge of everything now, has used the Bogaturs to divide the island. And so they've become almost like a police force that are following his um, rules. Um, but it is very much um, in Nightingale the Robber, in the original folk poem, you had Nightingale, who's portrayed as a villain, and you have a Bogatur called Captain Ilya, um, who is in my book as well, who's portrayed as the hero. And um, I very much just wanted to subvert that idea of they probably both actually think they're heroes and they probably both actually think the other one's villains. It's just that in this version, we're hearing Captain Ilya's, you know, version of the story where he paints Nightingale as an evil monster and talks about how he valiantly killed him. And I just wanted to mess around with that idea and think, well, you know, it's not always the hero that's the hero, is it? Or the villain that's the villain. It mm. depends who's telling you the story. One of the things, if we we start to talk a little bit about other themes in the book Um, one of the things that really struck me was the mention of negative emotions and where those emotions come from early on in the book when you talk about Captain Ilya it says he twisted people's grief Mm. into anger and hate then later we have somebody talking about division Uh, and fear, and that once you divide things, it doesn't take away your fear just by separating them. Mm. And there were lots of places where these negative motions and how one can manipulate them and turn them into something else equally negative 
really struck me as coming through this story. It is, yes, it's it's very much a commentary. I think that theme came from the world today, basically, and a lot of things that were going on in the news and the press. And I think any of us could pick a handful of examples quite easily um, where you have a politician or somebody with an agenda who, um, in order to achieve something, will play on people's emotions. They'll take their fear or their ignorance or grief, indeed, you know, and um, and then they'll sort of use that to try to achieve something for their own gains, you know. And for Captain Ilya, he wants power. I'm not sure how conscious his decision was. And I think perhaps towards the end of the book, it does come out that Captain Ilya himself was scared, you know, and he just thought that was the best way to deal with his fear was to, you know, try to remove the fear. But yeah, it's very much a commentary on what I see going on in the world. And I think we can all relate to that, the way that newspapers and politicians spin things and make things emotional and it makes it more difficult to unite and to find a, 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 a sensible way forward. I know that you will have written this book way before the current war that's going on in the part of the world that you're writing about. But as an adult, you can't help but read that into the story. Okay. Um, and it must be quite heartbreaking for somebody that loves Slavic traditions and folklore as much yeah. as you do. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And I've spoken to a few. I have, you know, quite a few Russian friends and um, and Ukrainian friends and friends from all over Eastern Europe. And um, it is heartbreaking for all of us, for anyone with a connection to that region um, to see that playing out. And um, I've even had a, 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 a dear friend of mine said that they felt like a pariah in this country because they're a Russian in this country. And, and um, someone actually said to me, I was talking about Russian folklore and all the beauty in it. And someone said, you know, they suggested that perhaps I should say Slavic instead of Russian. But, you know, but Nightingale, the robber, is specifically a Russian tale. And there was this suggestion that I should somehow distance myself from Russia, I think, because of Putin's actions. But obviously, there are so many beautiful things I love about Russia and, and the Russian people and Russian folklore and Russian art. And, you know, obviously the war is awful, but you, anyone is allowed to love a culture and a people. You did write something in here that's going to be my new mantra. I might just have to write it over my desk. Oh. Choose love over hate and kindness over anger. Oh, yes. Linnet is just everything that I want to be. And it's difficult to be a Linnet sometimes, but, you know, I just made her everything that I wanted to be. She's always so determined to be kind. Um, Like you say, just to choose it, just to choose kindness and to choose love. And, you know, even when people are being really horrible to her and her people, she still somehow manages to just focus on the good and try to do good. And that's so difficult to do. I, I I do know that. We can't all be Linnet all the time. I think it is, like you say, something to aspire to be. It's easy to hate, like you say about the war, to hate Putin or to hate someone who's doing awful things. But hate, essentially, it's not the most useful of emotions. It's not good for us, ourselves, and it's not really productive. You know, there's been some great picture books actually written about anger and how anger can be a better emotion because it can drive you to do something good. Whereas I'm not sure that hate can drive you to do something good. I want to pull some of these strands together in terms of thinking about children. There's a point in the story where Lynn is told you are still just a child. And yet in a way, by telling these stories, we're investing 
I think, in our children, as surely generation after generation has done. We're investing in them, our hopes of tom- for tomorrow. Absolutely. It sounds like something Echo might have said, doesn't it? I don't want to put pressure on children, obviously. I, th- I think ultimately, I think children are just, they just naturally are thinking about these things. And the vast majority of children are actually, they are like desperate to understand the world and they're desperate to make the world a better place. And I do want to write to that. And I want to, I, I, I never want to give morals or say, this is how you do it. I think my books are all about, I just want to get people talking about things you know I think this is my ultimate aim I would love it if a group of children were to read some or all of the book and for them to start talking about how would I make Morovia a better place and how can I make my own world a better place you know and for them to just have a a, a springboard for their own discussions and they can make huge differences there's so many examples now isn't there of young people really young people making enormous differences to the world and that's so inspiring to see I'd just like to end by saying children are making a difference to the world, but the stories that we're telling them are helping with that as well. And your story, most certainly, with its very positive and empowering narrative, is part of that making the world a better place. So thank you so much for talking to me today, Sophie. Thank you. It's been absolutely lovely to talk to you, Nikki, as always. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. If you would like to find out about other events and courses, visit justimagine.co.uk. Join us again in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.